welcome to the Whiskey Sisters podcast. I am Inga Larissa. And I am Jennifer Rose. Together, we will be bringing you a weekly whiskey podcast where we'll be discovering drams, exploring distilleries, talking to industry experts and sharing other whiskey adventures. Not only will we be sticking our noses into our drams, but also into all things new and current in the whiskey universe, with a leading commentary, of course. A warm whiskey sister's welcome. Today we're talking about all things peat, and we will have a quick chat with our guest from Pruladi Distillery. It's Pruladi that produce Octomore, so very exciting. Those who might not know, Octomore is pretty heavily peated stuff. That's the understatement of the century. This stuff is like badass to the nth degree. We will sample the 12.1 later, but first let's stick our noses into the latest whiskey news. Stick your nose in it. Now, we don't usually cover much news outside of Scotch, but as we will be featuring more whiskies outside of Scotland in season two, I thought we can mention um, the new English Whiskey Guild. A group of 15 English whiskey distilleries have unveiled their new marketing group, the English Whiskey Guild, that aims to expand and protect the growth of the ever-growing English whiskey scene. In fact, there are currently 40 English whiskey distilleries. I wouldn't have known there was that much, actually. I know. And fun fact, by the way, or maybe I should leave this on a whiskey fact. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, a teaser. The group of distilleries have been collaborating on the project for a number of months to support each other, recognise innovation, help individual businesses develop and also support their ability to create great whisky without too many constraints. Yeah, I assume that they are referring to the various ru- various rules um, when it comes to Scotch whisky production. In England, obviously, the whisky production is quite new and it's only started to pick up recently, so they have much more freedom of experimentation. Yeah. Um, Scotch is kind of is so old, so much history, they got yeah. lots of rules which which is a good thing of course but then you know Engl- English whiskey is a bit more new and funky and yeah, just they different set their own rules yeah and one of the first steps has been to submit a geographical indicator GI to DEFRA which if passed would legally define English whiskey to ensure consistent understandable standards for all current and prospective distillers of all sizes so I guess just having that kind of framework containing framework and, and a standard yeah. makes a lot of sense doesn't yeah, absolutely. Other news, this happened a while ago. There's been a new whiskey on the market, Coach Built. Yes. So we were kindly gifted the bottle recently, so we give it a little tester. Um, this was kind of funky one because it's it's a blended scotch and made by George Kotsakis. I don't know how to say his name. Kotsakis. He is um, half Scottish, half Greek. Very cool guy. You know, knows a lot about whiskey. So he wanted to celebrate the blending of whiskey, basically. And just bring out this amazing, amazing scotch. And then he got talking with Jensen Button of all people. Yes. Yeah. For non-Formula One fans famous Formula One driver. Yeah. George was already, you know, trying to make this whiskey and thinking about the blending process and all these different things. He was quite far advanced with it. And then Jensen wanted to get in. Yeah. And I think that's, I think it's quite cool, the name Coach Belt, like thinking about, it sounds like they've been thinking about the parallels between the whiskey making process and the coach building process, you know, to do with with cars yeah. and vehicles and stuff. It's quite cool, Well, that's it? funny. I was going to ask you because... <laughs> I actually was put off by the name because I have no idea what it means. And then it doesn't sound whiskey. What is it? 
Yeah, I think yeah, I think it was like a conversation around the love of coach building, like thinking of cars and sort of being kind of developed and built together. Maybe so I'm, I'm off the mark. When there. you talk about coach built, does it mean you're building cars? Because I don't know what that means. I think that's what that means. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So blind leading the blind right here. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, the whiskey is fruity, a little bit spicy. There's caramel sweetness and different, like different sweetness like that. But it's not a little bit of coffee. It was really nice. Yeah, like really super nice. Sippable. And what I like, you know, is from all the five regions of, of Scotland, you know, flavours from every corner. So I liked I liked the the thought of that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it they, was really, really tasty actually. The, all all the blends were put together and then finished in sherry cask. Yeah, you got that, you know, when we tasted it, didn't we? You could really nice sherry sort of aromas. Beautiful colour, that kind of a little bit darker in the colour. And the fruitiness was almost a bit more tropical rather than, you know, your typical dried fruit, sherry stuff. Yeah. It was really nice. Like I could have sipped it neat for your everyday dram. Really nice. But we did yeah. use it in highballs as well. Yeah, so when some... we say we sampled it, we finished the bottle, Linka. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we did. Like everyone loved it. Yeah, tasters to people and the feedback's very positive. Yeah, really positive feedback and made with lovely peach syrup. It was just really complimentary. I think you have to say that George, because he wanted to celebrate the blending process and just showcase that, you know, blended scotch can be really good. And he's definitely succeeded. Absolutely. I was going to make like a really bad Formula One pun there, but I couldn't even think of one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, finished the race. Yeah, all the way to the finish line. Yeah, it revved our engines. (laughs) (laughs) So bad. Edit that out. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Whiskey sisters! From the start of this podcast, I think I've made it very clear that I love peat. Uh, although I didn't like it at first, it took me some time and I've kind of, my first whiskies that I tried were peated, so it's a bit, ugh, but I made a full circle and now I really love it. But there's so much variety as well, which make it very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And we talk about peated whiskies, but as you see, within, within that category, there's so much, you know, there's so much to explore, to experiment with and so many different kind of levels and flavor profiles within that yeah and levels of peatiness you know and like Adnamakan on the previous episode that we mentioned the signature is mixture of peated yeah. and non-peated so this you know you can play around with it I think I had in my head initially that just peated was really strong I think I tried you know a peated whiskey that maybe was yeah. quite you know like like super strong flavors almost kind of like fishy flavors and it yeah, was like medicinal uh, like for sure. kind of in your face and I think maybe categorize them all like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm definitely enjoying my mind expanding and palate expanding for peated whiskies. That's good. Music to my ears. <laughs> so for a long time, peat was the most readily accessible fuel in many areas of Scotland. And the accumulation of water in boggy areas slows down the decomposition of plant materials such as moss, grass and tree roots, which then leads to the creation of peat. Peat was the primary domestic fuel in Scotland for a long time due to its availability in many parts of the country. Basically, it just grows all over, including the islands, you know, highlands, 
Oliver. Mm-hmm. This meant that also it was used by the distilleries. Due to the lack of alternative fuel sources, whiskies using entirely peated barley were once the mainstay of the industry. Everyone is doing peat. And this was especially true of the remote highland and island distilleries. But once the coal was introduced, many started to move away from the peat. I hadn't thought of that before, actually, how that would have changed and influenced the production. Mm. The lowlands in Speyside were the first to convert. The development of rail transport in Scotland led to the wide availability of coke as a great, hard and porous fuel with a high carbon content and few impurities made by heating coal or oil in the absence of air. So other areas followed, but not all of them. Initially out of necessity, Isla to the west, Orkney to the north, and several mainland distilleries held on to tradition. These distillers continued to use varying proportions of peat during the kilning process. This maintains a traditional and now largely unique style of whiskey with loads of variation and lots of flavour. And obviously they no, no longer burn peat as the primary fuel to dry the grain, but they do burn some dried peat to infuse the grain with the smoke and impart this distinctive flavour. So like iodine, mm-hmm. coal, tar, asphalt, bacon fat, brine, licorice, campfire ash, that kind of, you know, seaweed. Yeah. These are some of the signature flavours of peated whiskey. So it doesn't necessarily sound appealing. But it, do, it does make sense. It might not be for everyone with some of those strong flavours. Yeah. And peat, not just limited to Scotland, peat is, is all over, is everywhere, is found in 175 of the world's um, roughly speaking 196 countries. So depending on the method of measurement, Russia and Canada are closely tied for the greatest peat deposits. Yeah, and there's actually Finnish whiskies as well, doing peated whiskies, peated expression, Actually, it was really funny because I've been just talking about whiskey and spirits a lot in English. So I never really thought about these words in Finnish. I kind of got what peat was. That This was quite a few years ago. I got what peat is. But I didn't connect it with the, the, the peat in Finland, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which is also everywhere in Finland. So when I was in this whiskey tasting, <laughs> trying this Finnish whiskey, I was like, oh, do you get the peat from Finland? <laughs> the guy was like, oh, my God. Like, it's... <laughs> everywhere i'm like oh just because i've been doing it in english i'm like i didn't even realize i'm like oh my god (laughs) fantastic so see when you were growing up in finland what were your fuel sources like in the home some of the places i lived like we would have coal fires and like my mum would burn peat sometimes in another fire (laughs) did you have nothing like that no no we just might have like a wooden fireplace or something do you know and can i come from the island that's it do you know my mum right my mum's really loves Ireland everything about it and she visits Ireland loads and she came back once with some Irish peat and I was like and I'm like are you going to put your Irish peat on the fire she was like no 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 just burn the just burn the Scottish stuff and I was like what you're keeping that like a show peat you're not even burning it (laughs) oh that's so cool it's so cool so I'm like oh be careful you don't burn my mum's Irish show peat at special occasions or whatever so yeah I just wondered if you would because the smell of it is like so pungent and like I really like it that's funny because obviously we have all the saunas and stuff but I've never come across anyone using peat for anything yeah interesting isn't it Hmm. Unleash the peat. We would like to welcome Christy McFarlane, the global brand manager at Pruladi. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So 
Let's go straight to the point. Uh, put you on the hot seat straight away. Uh, how does peated whiskey get the smoky flavor? How does it work? It's a it's a good question and great to start with the basics of it because I think you can just assume that flavor comes from nowhere. But I think whiskey is a really complex uh, topic, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why I love it. Flavor can come from a, a load of different origins. So one of the things I love about Bricladi is the fact that we explore flavor. At, at every opportunity and mm-hmm. um, peat isn't something that we've experimented massively with yet but hopefully in the years to come and um, mm-hmm. we we will explore a little bit more of the terroir of peat but the smoky flavor in itself comes from the malting process so those of you who are not terribly familiar with whiskey in general um you would take barley so once it's been harvested it's normally left or kind of dried a little once it's come off the field left dormant over the winter season and then it will go through a malting process so that used to happen on malt floors now it happens in quite um industrial spaces almost and um, depending okay. on the scale of your 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 maltster um but generally what happens is you soak the barley in water you trick it into thinking it's springtime and germinating and then in order to preserve the enzymes within the grain you then have to dry that barley back out again Um, during the malting process and whether or not you integrate peat into that malting process is generally where the smoky flavour is integrated into the whisky so it's right early on a lot of people believe that all the flavour of whisky comes from the cask and the maturation side but Mm -hmm. actually um, how you source your barley or certainly at Brucladi we believe barley makes a big difference and in that malting process which has been relatively standardized now there there is a lot of opportunity to add flavor um but mm-hmm. peat itself is uh it's formed from fossilized vegetation so literally the whole of the uk is covered in peat and one of the main almost risks to peat is actually um, from from agriculture and kind of from mm. farmland so it, it is an absolute abundance in the uk and it's not something that um is found all over the world like Different countries have different types of peat, but in the UK, it's certainly been used in the whiskey industry for a number of years. And the region that is famous for having um, peated whiskies on Isla, it would have actually started as a, a household fuel source as well as um, something that eventually was developed into distilling industry. So people would have had their own peat bank, they would have cut their own peats, they would Amazing. have left them to dry. Um, and then mm. in distilleries, they would have been hand cut by the workforce. Uh, dried and stacked in a shed and actually now we see kind of the whiskey industry in general is quite a a sophisticated process but the history of adding peat into your um, kind of whiskey process it would have fluctuated so Mm -hmm. at Bricladi when we first were established in 1881 we might have had different peating levels of uh, our spirit depending on how much peat was actually stacked in the shed so it, it just depended on how, what access you could get to it, how far down you were in your stack. Yeah. There wasn't anything like consistent the way that yeah. distillers mm-hmm. now are like, we have 40 ppm in our spirit. That yeah. just never used to happen. And that's what we were going to ask you a wee bit about, actually, because we understand that the length and intensity of exposure to the peat smoke dictates the strength of flavour. But, you know, how do you measure that level of peat? What does PPM mean? So uh, PPM means parts per million of phenol. Mm-hmm. Um, and phenols are like flavour compounds and there's actually lots of them. There's several types of 
polyphenol and they all taste of different things. Ah, okay. Um, so you can have like guaiacol and eugenol and I am no chemist, but each of those kind of have different individual flavours. So you can, there's different ways to measure peat. There's some that are more accurate than others. There's a colorimetric method that is uh, generally quite widely accepted by the whiskey industry. And there's also what we call HPLC, which is high performance liquid chromatography. <laughs> <laughs> and you can get, can get into quite a lot of um, detail there with the different compounds that you find. So there's more of a standard measure to do it that I think if I un understand this correctly, it's almost like a um, transfer onto paper and then an, an analysis of how many compounds are within the grain. So the more compounds that you have, um, the higher the ppm level so when they actually when they make the whiskey or when they are deciding on the peat do they know what's gonna be like you know like when they when they smoke the barley do they know okay this is gonna be 40 ppm or do they just see what it's gonna be like and then decide well how to use it so from my limited understanding of how this works it can be so i'm, I'm from isla and i've kind of grown up just chatting to people about whiskey so mm -hmm. i might not be the absolute best source of information but i can tell you i think that um, qualifies you already christy <laughs> yeah. I'm is badass yeah <laughs> so um anecdotally I, th I think what happens is um in the likes of the maltings that are based in portellan they supply lots of the distilleries on isla and it's not necessarily an exact science so they'll peek to what they think the specification of that distillery is but if it's not right, they'll be able to supply that. They'll take a measurement and they'll be able to see where it's closest to. So I think there's like even a degree of variance for each different distillery. And you won't get absolute consistency because it is a batch process. Mm -hmm. um, the way that we work with our maltings in Inverness. So Riclady actually decided not to use the maltings in Portellan. And it's more just to do with the size of the drums that they use. So they've got quite big drums that require, a, a, like almost, I don't want to say mass because it makes it sound like I'm talking about our competitors in a bad way, but um, it's quite a big way of doing it. And there's no small batch process. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's the responsibility of the maltsters and most of the kind of whiskey supply chain that they would buy in barley and they would malt it and then sell it on. With Bricladi, we wanted to be much closer to our um, farming partners. We wanted to know where it was coming from, how it was grown, and and just have a bit more control and connection over where our barley was coming from. So we decided to work with um, Bairds and Inverness, who were able to uh, work on a, a smaller, more traceable system for us. And it's been massively beneficial because over the years we've been able to trace Isla barley from one singular farm that's been grown locally and while that does go off to the mainland and that's got carbon footprint kind of implications now, they've been great at going, OK, well, we can handle this small size. So if you only grow a certain amount of barley on one farm, it still means that we can keep it individually. Whereas um, if you're working in kind of a more commercial size of industrial maltings, they'll take in barley from lots of different places. And there's perhaps... And I'm, I might be being unfair because I don't know what all distillers are looking for. So they might be um, they might be dictating stuff now that I, I don't know about. But generally, they don't have as, as technical a specification of us of like where they want it. So they'll just buy in the barley, knowing that the maltster is looking for a high yield of alcohol from that grain. And then 
they'll take it on at whatever flavour specification they've asked for in terms of peating level. Mm-hmm. When we work with beards, the method that we have for Brocladi, Port Charlotte and Oxmore, Brocladi is unpeated, so no peat used in the process for drying. Port Charlotte is 40 ppm, so it's quite a mid-range. And then Octomore is super heavily peated. The way yeah. that Octomore actually came about was when we were talking to the maltsters, they had a super high concentrate of peat and a peated malt and unpeated malt that they then blended together to get 40 ppm. Oh, and when okay. we asked them, well, what do you do with the super concentrated stuff? They said, oh, no, nobody uses it. It's, it's too high. We were like, no, no, we definitely want to try that. So without that kind of partnership with beards, probably Optimore wouldn't have come about. And, yeah, you know, and it's it, very popular, very popular. Obviously, yeah. it's not for the faint-hearted. As we <laughs> no. <know> from, <laughs> for this episode, we obviously tried the samples you sent us. So I'm just um, imagining during that conversation, we're like, no, we want the strong stuff. There was like thunderbolts and like <laughs> yeah. heavy music playing to accompany <laughs> that conversation. I'm sure on our website it's written somewhere, or it used to be, um, it started as a late night what if idea. Yeah. Um, but a that deer. Just be marketing. <laughs> Do you remember but, on top of your head, just now, because we're talking about Octomore, that what's the highest level of PPM on the Octomore range? Because yes. I know that it varies, obviously, slightly. It does vary, and... Um, that's kind of it's a good representation of the malting process that it's not exact like mm-hmm. we ask beards to malt to how high they can get it and then they deliver it to us and we we take what they can give us and we distill it Octomore for us is anything above 80 ppm the okay. highest that we've got has been 309 ppm but <laughs> I, I actually think that adam has even higher than that in the warehouses but the one the highest one that we've ever released has been 309 that's crazy yeah because i think the one we tried was just under 140 yeah i think there Mm. a lot of our releases are around the 130 sort Mm. of mark even the ambient kind of conditions can make a difference so how long and slow you're going to do it how cold it is outside like it all makes a difference to the to the extraction of the phenols from the peat and and how they cling on to the the malt and are we right in thinking, you know, there's differences in peat? Peat from one location would perhaps contribute, you know, a different flavour profile than, than peat from somewhere else? Yeah, so again, it's sort of a conversation about how long have you got and how um, how dedicated are you to the topic? So we have a, a, forager, <laughs> a forager that um, is kind of employed in-house at Bricladi. He works on the botanist gin, so he collects botanicals according to their growing season. And then in the wintertime, because it's not peak growing season for any of the, the wild kind of flavours found in the botanist, he has a lot of spare time on his hands. So <laughs> we asked James one year, could you please go and research a bit about peat and tell us about it? We're keen to understand a bit more. And what I remember distinctly from him presenting back his findings was rife for further research. So yeah. I think one the of the more you find where, out, the more there is to mm-hmm. learn kind of thing. Yeah, and I, and I think also just something that you know, it's probably not funded all that well, so people don't necessarily, there's no like necessarily industrial application of it. I'm sure that whiskey distilleries now in the Scotch Whiskey Research Institute have, have done more and more, but he seemed to find in his vast reading that 
um, there was almost like a micro terroir of peat. So it's correct in saying perhaps that the peat that we get for our Port Charlotte and Octomore whiskies, that's mainland peat, it's more come from the Caledonian forest. And mm -hmm. the peat that is formed on Isla is more seaweed, it's more medicinal. Yeah. So you can and you can find those flavours within your single malt. It's one of the reasons we believe Port Charlotte's quite heathery and smoky and like almost like a softer barbecue smoke mm -hmm. rather than that kind of TCP flavour that you can almost get from quite a, a strong Isla peat. Even on Isla, he said that there were samples that were taken from different parts of the island. Yeah. And some of that peat was more likened to that the composition of it to some of the mainland peat than it was yeah. to the other isla peat i've just been doing a cycling tour in france and going to these different vineyards and they've been talking a lot about the terroir and even just the vineyards next to each other can have completely different outcome because yes. the ground is just completely different so it, it makes sense that it would translate to other things as well peat for example it does, and it, it's something that's probably been neglected by the whole whiskey industry. Even ourselves at Brickladdy, who are kind of notorious within the industry for, for being quite inquisitive of where different flavour comes from, we, we've even not really taken the time to explore things as as much as we would have liked. We have certainly tried to use Isla Peat, like we've taken peat from Isla and, and mm -hmm. taken it to Bairds and, and experimented with it. And for whatever reason, the, the distillers decided that, that I'm hoping for environmental reasons, because that's not very good to ship peat north. But um, it it didn't come to pass. We we haven't used it. But in the future, Brucladi would really like to install our own maltings at the distillery. It's been mm -hmm. in the plans for years and years now and for many different reasons. And I'm sure everyone who's trying to build something at the moment is saying COVID and Brexit and everything else has been <laughs> not very kind to them. But it's always been our desire that we would have our own maltings on site again and that we would be able to deal with our own Isla barley that's grown locally on mm. almost 50 percent of it's grown annually there um, and it's going to beards and inverness at the moment so we would like to be able to do that in-house and have that flexibility and also just have that control over that process so we can experiment more we've got we've also bought our own croft land next to the distillery and we want to experiment with different varieties of barley that are perhaps really small, like micro batches, mm -hmm. and asking somebody who is malting barley for several other distilleries to deal with very small, um, unpredictable sample sizes. <laughs> they just don't necessarily want to do it. So as much as Beards have been massively supportive of us, it would be really great that we've got total flexibility to do our own thing and to, to really accept the risk that's involved with that level of experimentation. And you've mentioned sustainability, you know, and it's it's everywhere, rightly so at the moment. But in terms of peat being a sort of sustainable resource, are we running out of peat? What is the kind of environmental impact of us burning it? Yeah, I have to be careful here because, again, I'm not an, <laughs> I'm not an expert. <laughs> yeah. I think there is an abundance of peat within the UK. As I mentioned previously, mm -hmm. the whiskey industry is not the primary uh, kind of user of it. Nevertheless, even if you're using a small amount, it should be dealt with in a very um, responsible way. So I think at the moment we're not necessarily acting fast enough as an industry in peat. And I think where 
real areas of focus are going around things like energy and how do we have renewable energy and mm-hmm. how do we reduce carbon. Peat is a, I don't know if you could call it a sustainable resource. It does mm-hmm. rejuvenate over time, but it's mm-hmm. to, it's thousands of years. So if your extraction is more than your rejuvenation, yeah. it, it's not it's not sustainable. So do we it, need to it, start stocking up and buying lots of peated whiskey before it runs out? <laughs> I, I don't think so. That's what I want to know. What we've started to explore, again, alongside the other maltings project, is just to work with local bodies to see what we can be doing. So asking the question first and foremost, how can we source it in the most responsible way possible? And so can I can have her save the peat t-shirts planted up? <laughs> Not sure if that's environmentally, you know, if that's PC, but hey-ho. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, what you could do is just balance it out by drinking unpeated whiskey more often. A bit bit like meat, where it's come to be in commonplace, where you have many more vegetarian meals. Yeah, maybe we should just have peat on occasion. Yeah, it's not something that keeps me awake at night in terms of... sure. There is an abundance of it, but I think across everything at the moment, all businesses need to be very... um, astute about what what their impact is and manage that impact so working with um local local organizations to make sure that there are restoration of peatlands to make sure that that's being done in the proper way because again it's a controversial topic there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it yeah and i don't want to put my very large feet in it any further but just (laughs) um, the whole industry needs to be open to it and yeah i think it is the the scotch whiskey association have you know worked that into their sustainability targets so it's something that all whiskey distilleries that are part of the swa will be working on yeah so do you have a favorite whiskey from Prulady, or including you know port charlotte octomar all this and what do you like about the peated whiskey like what's the what does it bring to you that makes you go back it's a strange thing to say but i, I guess it's just uh, it's a, like a taste of home for me oh um, because so i nice. <laughs> So cheesy. No, it's nice. Love it. <laughs> because Isla is obviously a region that that is known for smoky whiskey. I I kind of grew up tasting Isla whiskey, and I'm not necessarily like I didn't enjoy it to begin with. And I worked in the industry, and I I almost faked it for a couple of years, thinking <laughs> I don't really love this stuff. And it wasn't until I had a lot more from Speyside and the Highlands and was introduced to it through, from an unpeated lens that I slowly came back to it. And I almost love it more now than than unpeated. But I think there's a whiskey for every occasion. Um, and I think within our range, our Port Charlotte 10 is an amazing, like affordable, everyday drinking jam. I mean, not that I drink a 55 pound bottle of whiskey <laughs> every day. <laughs> Um, but certainly it's like there's a comfort to it and it's very warming and I'm also a firm believer in kind of seasonal drinking so love drinking a bit of gin and tonic in the summer and then love curling up with a book in front of a fire or the whiskey in the winter or even drinking a highball um, in the summer so it's a bit more kind of, of a refreshing and long drink so firm believer that everyone should drink the way that they want to and if they're buying a spirit they should enjoy it the way that they they see fit but Port Charlotte Town is definitely a really mm-hmm. lovely balance where the peat's not totally overpowering and I think nice yeah the, the way that we make our whiskey is just lovely like as a as an islander to know that our whiskey is 
conceived, distilled, matured and bottled on the island and that we're the largest private employer because we don't shift any of the processes onto the mainland. We do as much as we can on Isla and eventually when we have the malting project that will see a small proportion of it completed all the way through on the island. That's that's pretty special to me to be able to see that mm. a business is yeah. making decisions to have a, a, a greater impact, a positive impact on the local community. It's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> What's not to love about that, right? Exactly. Vought Charlotte is one of my favourites as well. It's really nice. It's just a good session dram, isn't it? I think mm. once you get into it, you're, yeah. Baltimore, I will, I'll have one of them and that'll be my yeah. treat for the day. Whereas Port Charlotte, I could, I could drink. Thank you so much. Helpful to have someone else talk about Pete because I love Pete. Jen is getting round to it, I think. My baby um, steps in. I have yeah. been lured. I'm being lured towards it. Yes. So yeah, it was just quite helpful to have a third person to talk about it. So definitely when you're from the island as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much. No problem. It was a, it was a pleasure. Dram on fire. The first one. It's a bit of an echo here, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> if this recording sounds a bit echoey, like we're in a barn, we are kind of in a bit of a barn right yeah. now, aren't we? <laughs> um, the first one is Port Charlotte 10-year-old, which is heavily peated Isla single malt. Uh, and the phenol level is 40 parts per million. It's 50% ABV and made from 100% Scottish barley and aged 65% in first fill American uh, whiskey casks and then 10% in second fill American whiskey casks and also 25% of second fill French wine cask. I think it's a super sweet colour to look at, quite, I don't know, quite light golden straw like. Mm. Yeah. Yeah? Nice daytime sunshine colours. Mm. And the nose is quite nice and sweet. Nice and sweet. It's not as overpowering as I thought it might be on the nose. Like no. A very, to me, it's a gentle, smoky aromas on the nose. Mm-hmm. Makes me think of, like, as custard. Yeah, maybe like a vanilla custard. Yeah. And some sweetness that you would expect, kind of, those kind of bourbon cast notes. Yes, the nose is not super peaty, like, it doesn't hit you at all. No. You go for a taste. Mm-hmm. Nice balanced smokiness on the palate. Mm-hmm. Salty. Isn't it a bit salty and spicy? Mm-hmm. Again, smokiness not overpowering. Quite gentle smoke on the palate. Yeah, it's funny. Funny you said that because it's heavily peated. I think it just works. Yeah. With the mix of the casks, maybe just balancing the flavour so yeah. well. Like there's definitely barbecue smokiness to it, but yes. it's not aggressive. Yeah, you're not slapped in the face with it. Mm. Quite a long finish, medium to long. Yeah. A little bit drying. Spice is still mellow, it's a little bit, but still quite. This pot shallot is actually one of my favourite Isla whiskies. Nice. Mm. This is my first time trying, but I'm enjoying it. Will we add a touch of water? Yeah, we probably should because it's 50% ABV. For me, on the on the nose, less smoky now. Mm-hmm. Maybe a bit more candied toffee scent on the nose for me now I've added water. Mm. I'm thinking more like apples or mm-hmm. like red apples. Find it a bit more spicy on the Yeah, palate. definitely more spicy. I think the water adds a little bit on the texture. Makes it a little bit more softer, but then... It's creamier on the mouthfeel, yeah. but sharper to taste, yeah? Yeah. 
They're definitely now getting much more of that peat influence. Yeah. It's like, funny, it gets it's so spicy at the beginning, but mellows the spiciness kind of goes away faster. It makes me think of like charred wood. You know, with that yeah, like yeah, that's wood. true. The finish is quite uh, once uh, we've added water. For me, the finish is even a bit more powerful. Like the the smoky woodiness, mm. as if it's that's lingering a bit longer. Yeah, it's definitely more woody. Yeah, I prefer it without the water. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Just. <laughs> Is that going to be the most used phrase of our season one? <laughs> I know, I don't, can't think of any whiskies that I preferred with water so far. <laughs> we need to make a note of it when, whenever, if it, if it ever happens. If it ever happens, for sure. So, should we try Octomore next because it's more peaty? Sure. Okay, and so tell us about this next one that we've got. So, next one is Octomore 12.1, which is... The phenol levels was 130.8 and the previous one was 40. Brace yourself. Brace yourself. <laughs> uh, full term maturation in first fill American whiskey casks, aged for five years. And ABV is higher on this one again, isn't yeah. it? 59.9%. Yeah, that's right. Colour again is quite a light golden, some yeah. shade colour. Mm-hmm. Very quite light yellow. Again, I'm getting that vanilla. I'm getting salt and vinegar crisps on the nose. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I love those. So do I. I'm getting Maybe this. Citrus. Like citrusy for you. Sweet and citrus. I'm definitely getting more kind of savoury notes with the smokiness. Like at first it was like the salt and vinegar crisps. Now I feel like, you know, like the bacon fry crisps. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm feeling like a snack. Right yeah. Now. No, I think actually now that you mentioned the salt and vinegar, I think there's kind of saltiness to it. Yes. And yeah, maybe a little bit of some balsamic or something. Yeah. I'm not getting so much sweet just yet on the nose, but let's see for the taste. Oh my God. Sam's <laughs> face right now. <laughs> sweet Lord. <laughs> Whoa. Very salty, like sea breezy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And it's right on your tip of your tongue. For sure. That like thrusts itself upon you, doesn't yeah. it? This but is it, a, a mighty drum. But it, I think it's quite sweet. The finish is quite sweet. Your face. <laughs> oh my god. Maybe I should take a video of you next time. <laughs> so I, I think it's not super spicy, but there's quite a lot of saltiness to it. And the, the finish feels quite sweet. I quite like it. I feel my head slightly blown off. I feel the peatiness is a kind of big thrust of like flavour on the palate. The finish, I'm getting a sweetness now on the finish. And although I find it like, whoa, this is like intense for me, I am enjoying it, I have to say. I couldn't drink it in public because my facial expressions <laughs> would be inappropriate. Yeah, I agree with that one. This would be a house dram for me, right? <laughs> Good thing we're not doing YouTube. <laughs> yeah, we've not quite we've not quite made it to YouTube it's, yet. This is quite warming. Yeah. Back on my throat, it's quite it feels quite hot. And the finish for me, there's a real I'm getting this the woody smokiness, um like kind of tobacco notes. Maybe a sweet cacao a wee bit, you know, like kind mm. of strong cacao chocolate. Yeah. And it might have to have a sip of water because my throat throat is on fire. Drama on fire right enough, Inca. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> let's, 
let's bring the water out yeah. to see if we can simmer that down. Yeah, maybe this will be the jam does. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe this will be the jam that we favour with water in it. I'm getting more sweet notes than I did mm. initially now I've added water on the nose. Yeah, and the smokiness is not that evident. Maybe kind of honeyed sweetness for me. More pear or something. Don't fruit. Apricot, maybe. Ah. Oh, I'm finding that really spicy, like nasty spice. Like somebody that can't cook properly is trying to make chilli or something. <laughs> Oh my god. And I'm overpowered. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I feel overpowered by spice now I've added water. It's definitely more smoky, peaty, salty, black pepper, white pepper, something like that. I feel I've licked a piece of timber that's been charred burned. <laughs> like my mouth feels all like as if it's puckering up and going and I feel I need to like brush my tongue. That's oh. That's too much of a big bad boy for me. I think it definitely, my throat feels like it's on fire, literally. <laughs> but again, I'd say I preferred it with, without water. For sure, I've also preferred it without water. Oh. O- Octomore 12.1, you're not, you've not broken the cherry for us yet. We still uh, prefer you neat. I don't hate it. I would drink it again, neat and private. Whiskey Sisters, Whiskey Fact. As this week has been all about peat and smoky whiskey, I thought I should bring the topic into today's whiskey fact as well. So Jen, did you know that Iceland is home to two distilleries and both of which use sheep manure in place of coal and peat as fuel of uh, kilning barley? Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Like actual sheep manure? Yeah, using poo as fuel is a tradition that goes back hundreds of years. And the Icelandic people are particularly fond of using sheep dung. And the smoke (laughs) itself is said to be quite ashy and not as sweet as the smoke that you usually taste in some of the Scotch whiskies. Oh, I mean, I can imagine why that works, right? And why it's a good source of fuel. But just the thought of it, right? You know, it doesn't get the the juices flowing, doesn't get you licking your lips, does it? Now I really want to try some though let me know how you get on (laughs) i shall oh so i'll give you the whiskey fact that i mentioned earlier about the english yes you tease let us know what it is i have named two english whiskey stills that's amazing how did that come about long story for another time it's just a little little thing i don't tell you which one it is no are you going to tell us what you called them yeah oh maybe people will know so if you from the names of the stills, if you know what distillery it is, send us a message on Instagram. So Astreas and Doris. Aww. And they were the Greek goddesses who, you know, based on water and blah blah blah. Long story. But that's nice. why that's mm-hmm. so cool. Such a lovely, you know, honor to be invited to name the stills. That's such I'm an important poor. like part yeah, of yeah. the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah, I wrote the whole kind of story behind all both of the the stills for them as well. And they still call them the same names. That's lovely. You've been listening to the Whiskey Sisters podcast. Okay, next week we will continue with the Isla Pete as we dive into the whiskey battles of Laphroaig and Lagavulin. Oh, talking about the medicinal peat. <laughs> yeah, so it's a quite a story. And we will also be sampling some Laphroaig as well. Then, Jen, brace yourself. 
Indeed, indeed. I like big girl pants all the way. So whether you're interested in some fighting talk, just hanging out and having a jam with us whiskey sisters, pour yourself an Isla jam or dram of your choosing and join us next Wednesday. Meanwhile, you can keep up to date on all things Whiskey Sisters on our Instagram. Have you sent us a message yet? If not, why not? Don't be shy at whiskeysisters.podcast or on Twitter at Whiskey Sisters or even on good old-fashioned Facebook at Whiskey Sisters Podcast. Slanja. Slanjinka. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>